0: Hello and welcome back to the Earfuel Podcast. As always, I'm Joel Freemark, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at @getearfuel and at the Daily Guru. The podcast is always available in the iTunes and Google Play Stores under Earfuel and at Getearfuel.com. So this week it is all about album reviews. That is to say, since it's the end of the year, today's episode is going to be dedicated to a discussion on my favorite albums of the year. But before we get into that, I have to admit that the process of picking my best of 2016 was a bit different than the last few years. It was different because, well, it was actually really easy. It was surprising. Most years, I have a list of like 20 or 30 or even 40 possible top five picks, and I have to create this super long list of honorable mentions just to compensate. It's also common for me to end up splitting the best album of the year title, but, well, this year was very, very different. I went through the list of releases so many times and I could only come up with 9 albums total that I felt were even worthy of a mention today. More to the point, there's a 10th album that many publications will likely call the record of the year that I'm not so sure even makes my top 10 cut, but we'll get to that in a minute. Things will also be a little bit odd or different because I have 5 honorable mentions as there are only 4 records I feel are so worthy of being separated from the pack. To be perfectly honest, these numbers frustrated me a bit, and I had to reconsider a few times whether or not maybe you know I was being too harsh on the year in music, so I ended up going back and re-listened to every single one of what I thought were maybe my 20 favorite albums of the year, and definitely the ones I'm going to talk about, and I can say that I completely agree with myself. So without any further caveats, let's dive into the EarFuel Best Albums of 2016. Beginning with the album that I am purposefully leaving off my list, let's get the what moment out of the way David Bowie's Black Star. That's right, I will be one of the music critics who doesn't have this album in their top five list this year. And just watch, a lot of the big publications are going to have this one right at the top. Now, it's not that Black Star is a bad record, because it's not. But at the same time, it's miles from a great record. Make no mistake. I love David Bowie, and I have faithfully sat at the altar of Ziggy Stardust for most of my life. But if you remove the tragic circumstances around the release of this album and step back for a completely objective view, Blackstar just doesn't measure up. If anyone not named David Bowie had released this record, I doubt it would have made much of a blip on the musical radar, as it has only two solid tracks, and the rest are kind of filler. Let's take this album for what it is the songs for the musical he was producing that were undoubtedly inspired by his facing his own mortality. There are some very good moments, some prophetic moments, but on the whole, this record isn't even in the top five of David Bowie albums, let alone albums of the year. Sorry, I love David Bowie, but facts are facts. Let's move on. Kicking off my honorable mentions, another English legend had a fantastic new record this year, and it came from Brian Eno. As one of, if not THE godfather of ambient music, the guy is responsible for some of the finest moments in the genre, and this year he gave us the 47-minute journey entitled The Ship. It's a four-part movement that apparently was originally supposed to be a multi-channel sound installation, but somehow it morphed into this album that I absolutely love. I don't know if calling this even remotely electronic is that accurate, as it's a soundscape that sort of defies classification. From random sound effects, to a variety of vocal interjections, to growing tones that eventually envelop you, this is a space-out record in a completely fresh manner. So many ambient artists seem to have taken the same approach over the last 10 years or so, basically making it the same thing as downbeat electronica or trip-hop, so it was more than refreshing to have a reminder of what the form is really about. It may take a few listens until you can really get into what's going on with the ship, but it's one of the most overlooked great albums of 2016, and you need to check it out. The next honorable mention is A Tribe Called Quest's We Got It From Here, Thank You For Your Service. Now, this was one of the best hip-hop records of the year along with De La Soul's release and a few others, but this album nails it from beginning to end. To be honest, after listening to this the first time, I said out loud, no way this was that solid. Really. I was surprised. It had been almost 20 years since their last release, and the loss of Fife Dog made it even more difficult to think that this album would be anything of note. Andre 3000, Elton John, Tali Kualib, and many others make guest appearances on the record, but even without their contributions, the sounds and rhymes here are top-notch. Jazz, blues, and classic East Coast hip-hop sounds all melt together brilliantly on this record, and the message running throughout is one that definitely needs to be heard. The bottom line is, Anyone who questioned if A Tribe Called Quest still had that it factor was put in their place, as they are still on par with anyone in the genre today, and you can hear just how much they inspired pretty much every current MC as well. Spend some time with this record. It's one of the finest of 2016. Another music legend who released a new album shortly before his death this year was, of course, Leonard Cohen, and I dig this album loads more than I had expected. That's not to say I haven't enjoyed the last few outings from the late Mr. Cone, but You Want It Darker was miles beyond what I'd hoped for and a tragically perfect end to his career and life. From the opening notes that fall somewhere between haunting and comforting, it's the church-like overtones in production that instantly grab your attention. Here's a quick moment from the title track. Magnified, sanctified be thy holy name vilified crucified in the human frame a million candles burning for the help that never came you want it darker another thing is the fact that leonard cohen is one of the few voices that need to be slightly in front of the rest of the mix and that lack of total balance is executed perfectly on this record now look If you're not into Leonard's voice or his poetic style, this one is going to be tough to get into, as it's about as vintage Leonard Cohen as you'll find. But so many musicians have borrowed his delivery style over the years, and for my money, the super deep, gruff voice that's developed over the past two decades brings an entirely new depth to his sound. But like has been the case pretty much his entire career, Leonard Cohen's songs center around his vocal delivery and the poetry of his lyrics— that's to say, he keeps things pretty damn simple, and you really get everything at face value. Unsurprisingly, perhaps the most wonderfully heartbreaking element of this album is his lyrics. Now, granted, the guy is a writer first and a singer second, but even for someone with as legendary a written history as Leonard Cohen, he managed to outdo himself all over the place on You Want It Darker. I mean, what you have here is someone very aware of his impending demise. He knows he's on his final lap, and he's completely bearing his innermost thoughts and fears. He takes this record to sort of put his affairs in order, as there are gorgeous songs of apology, moments of shaking his fist in the face of the Grim Reaper, and others where he takes in the unforgettable moments of his life that made it worth living. I guess for me, You Want It Darker is almost the soundtrack of a man standing, I don't know, at the exit of purgatory and putting the realities of his life out there for judgment, making no excuses for how he lived think that makes sense it's like he's just so honest but has clearly done some bad and good things like maybe he doesn't want a seat in heaven or hell and he's wondering if there's a third option for people who lived life on both sides they to give my heart a for letting go of you I like this album. I really do. It's not the sort of record I'm going to reach for all the time, but when my soul needs a certain sound and mood, man, this one is going to deliver big time. If all you know of Leonard Cohen is his hits from 40-plus years ago, it's more than worth it to hear where the man ended up, as You Want It Darker will be one of the enduring points of his musical legacy. Now, When it came to albums I was anticipating in 2016, few had me more excited than the second record from Deep Valley. Their 2013 release, Sistrionics, was one of my favorites of that year, and I've been hooked on the duo ever since. The attitude in their songs and the unapologetic tone of their voice combined with their empowering middle finger-in-the-air lyrics never gets old to me. And after they dropped the first single, Smile More, I had very high expectations for the full length. From Lindsay's fuzzed-out guitar stomps to the chaotic control of Julie's drumming, there's just no band that can deliver lo-fi, bluesy guitar rock with the consistency of Deep Valley. Oh wait, you know what? I just realized I haven't mentioned the name of this album, and it's one of my favorites ever. This record is called Femagism. Yeah, awesome. Also, in many ways, it's the ideal word for the mission and focus of the record and the band. Like I said, they're all about empowerment, and all across this record are lyrics that deliver a swift kick to patriarchy and misogyny, and yet they sit on top of a rock awesomeness that is irresistible. Really, for all the female empowerment pop stars out there, once you hear Deep Valley, you'll realize what real sounds of empowerment sound like. The message is clear and awesome, and the way it works along with the killer music is one of the reasons I love this band. One of my favorite songs is Gunawana as it brings together everything there is to love about Deep Valley. It's got reverberating guitar chords, a wonderfully nervous drum pattern, and an anthemic vocal line. Here, check it out. Damn, I love that song but the entire first half of this album just makes you want to crank it louder and louder, and this kick-ass thump that in many ways is their calling card is better than ever. This is also an album that runs the perfect length. It rocks your face off, and then it's done. The songs have zero pretension and are almost punk rock in their economy of notes, but at each turn, they get the point across, and it's hard not to have a grin on your face. These songs are able to shimmer and stomp in a balanced way, and this is one of those records that I am more than happy to hand to people who try and say rock is dead in 2016. Believe me, rock is alive and well and ready to kick in the nuts. Go grab this album and let Femagism blast all in your ears. Yeah, I said that. Moving on. I will freely admit that when Iggy Pop announced he was releasing an album with Josh Homme, I had my hesitations. I've not been a fan of the last few Iggy solo records, nor the final offerings from the Stooges. Not to imply that the greatest rock frontman ever was losing a step, because he wasn't, and he hasn't, and he never will, but it just seems like the studio isn't working for Mr. Osterberg lately. And for those of you not as big a music nerd as I am, James Osterberg is Iggy Pop's real name. So, when the album came out, I was giddy with how wrong I was. Post-pop depression is wonderfully dark with just the right amount of badass and angst. It's got this brilliant swing sitting underneath every song, and it's very quickly clear that Josh Homme is actually the ideal candidate to lead Iggy's backing band. Though unexpected, there's just this sonic synchronicity between the two that cannot be denied, and I think some of it may come from the fact that Hami and Company came into the situation with a very strong musical identity, and then they blended it with Iggy Sound, as opposed to so many projects where a fantastic group of musicians just sort of become another backing band following a preset form. From the melancholy sway of the album opener to the odd, imposing bounce of German Days to the brilliant twang on In the Lobby, the band pushes Iggy all over the place in terms of tempo without ever damaging the perfectly created, somehow fragile mood. Here, check out a bit from Break Into Your Heart. That's one of my favorite elements of Iggy on this record, the fact that he's not in all-out Stooges' madman mode, and yet his vocal work is as captivating as ever. The sound is very close, and it's very intimate, like you're sitting in on a private sound check, and Iggy is sort of jamming with the band. I don't know if that makes sense, it's just a very special feeling, and for someone like myself, who is an Iggy devotee, the record is a delight in just how different it is from the rest of his 40-plus years of recording. But let's not pretend that Iggy is the only great thing on this album, as the other players are certainly in top form. As stated, Josh Homme brings his best at every turn, and his role as the sole producer is one of the driving forces of the album. Sure, he drops some devastating bass lines like American Valhalla, but the feeling he was able to inject and sustain behind the boards allows this record to overflow with greatness. Here's one of my favorite bits from that song. I'm looking for So if it passes by, give me a The rhythm section kills it as well, and they quickly lock in together. Matt from Arctic Monkeys and Dean from, well, I mean, Dean's been in a ton of bands. Queens of the Stone Age, The Tours, Eagles of Death Metal... The Dude Can Play. This is one of those records that I can go on forever about because it's the ideal example of what can happen when a magical combination of musicians are free to create without any deadlines or expectations. So whether you're a longtime fan of anyone involved in this project or even if you specifically dislike someone on this record, you really need to check it out. It's addictive and a very cool combination of the talents involved. Post-pop depression might just be my favorite surprise success of the year so go get it. So that's the honorable mentions, and they are all more than worth spending time with. But at the same time, there were four releases this year that were so exceptional, they have to be in a space all their own, and if I had some sweet transition music or fanfare, I'd play it here. But since I don't, coming in at number four on my favorite albums of 2016 is the second collaborative record between Emmylou Harris and Rodney Crowell, and it's called The Traveling Kind. In a word, This album is gorgeous. I know the term gets used a ton, even by me, but it's warm and welcoming and instantly calms your mind and mood. Really, it's got everything that there is to love about country, folk, and, well, as the title kind of implies, traveling music. You can feel a sense of movement all across the record, but sometimes that sense of movement is watching the world go by through a window of a cabin in the woods, or maybe on the front porch looking out into a sunset in the distance, you know, things like that. One of the best things about this album, much like their first record together, is the way that the two voices blend together. Neither Rodney nor Emmylou has what one would term a traditional vocal sound, and the harmony is about as unique as they get. You can feel just how much they enjoy singing together, and it has a very intimate feeling, especially on the opening track. From the of time, but the first I mean, it's just got this classic feel to it, and whether they're crooning or rocking, it's hard not to sing along with them. That's one of the greatest things about their harmony. They leave plenty of room for you to get involved, and these lyrics are so wonderfully written that you'll love singing them. But at the same time, they show on this record what balance in vocals is all about. When they take a break from the harmonies to trade verses or take entire songs solo, It gives more range to the record, and it shows what collaborations are all about. Along with their voices, these two really know how to let a song simmer. From the dusky feel of No Memories Hanging Round, to the almost cowboy-on-the-trail feel of Just Pleasing You, to the truly spiritual Higher Mountains, this record shows just how many different ways you can create beautiful songs with simple orchestrations. But this record isn't all somber, slow burners. Don't worry. The classic rock and roll style on Bring It On Home to Memphis will have you dancing in your seat. The grinning, twangy march on the album Closer is impossible to resist. And If You Lived Here, You'd Be Home Now is unquestionably one of my favorite songs of the year. Here. The day I my love for you sure I don't know, it's just one of those songs that sort of has the vibration of life to me. I love it, and I can't get enough of it. But there's other super fun tracks, like the almost nervous energy on the way to the world, and yeah, you know what, the last track of the album is just one I'm not going to spoil. The band backing them is just awesome, as they bring everything there is to love about country and folk and bluegrass and rock, and you can hear just how connected all of the musicians are with one another. Much like the balance in the lead vocals, each instrument has all the room it needs and not an inch more. And it's the fact that you can feel that open space on these songs that really allow them to pull you in. Look, I get it. Country music still gets a fair share of hate. But this album isn't firmly country, and regardless of the genre, it's far and away one of the most outright enjoyable records of the year. So do your ears a favor and get a copy right now. Thank me later. Just three more to go. And occupying that third spot is what I see as the most heartbreaking record of the year, and quite possibly the most heartbreaking record ever, Nick Cave in the Bad Seeds' Skeleton Tree. Now, I spent a great deal of time during the initial review of this album discussing the real-life situations that impacted this album. And for those of you unaware, during the recording of this record, Nick's teenage son died in a tragic accident. So this album is very much a trip through the agony and grief of a father. I say that up front because this album is unrelenting in its focus, and quite honestly, a bit hard to endure at times. This is because Nick is as raw and unguarded as ever, and for someone like Nick Cave, who rarely holds back in the first place, this record is crushingly sorrowful at almost every turn. I mean, Nick has made much of his career from giving completely unguarded emotion and relentless honesty, but it's different here. The level of just how personal this material is gives a completely different tone to his voice. While we've heard him lament on lost love and frustration over the years, what you have here is the true voice of heartbreak. When his voice wavers a bit or sounds completely defeated, you can tell it's because it's sort of all he can muster from these lyrics. He has a dedication to expressing the words without judgment and, to be honest, I can't think of another vocal performance from any point in history that's as bare as we find here. And now in turn, you turn, you kneel, but let's step away from Nick's performance and lyrics for a bit and focus on the music. I mean, this is the Bad Seeds we're talking about here and there are a few bands that have shown as much range as they have over the decades. They've shown us Unrestrained Rock on their Dig Lazarus Dig record, Reckless Abandon on, well, Reckless Abandon, there's there's a bunch of those records, sorry. Let's refocus and say that there's nothing the Bad Seeds can't capture on tape in terms of mood, but Skeleton Tree really takes things to an entirely new level. I think the fact that they all went through this with Nick and his family and have known them for so long allowed the band to sort of... I don't know, almost channel the bleakness and heartache into different musical forms. Whether it's the somewhat feedback dirge of the opening track, to the almost holy feeling of distant sky, to the floating feel that you get on the title track, the Bad Seeds manage to give Nick all the space he needs to express his misery, but keep him focused enough that each song is outright stunning. That's the trick here. It's the fact that they can have a slightly upbeat, kind of bright orchestration like that on Rings of Saturn, or an almost nervous feel like on Anthracene, but it's the fact that they do this without ever jolting the mood or focus that serves as a testament to what an extraordinary band exists here. Her eyes that look at me through her rainy hair, two round holes where the air bubbles and rushes in. Her body moon blue was a jellyfish, and I'm breathing deep and I'm there but make no mistake this record gives no real respite from the mournful over and undertones until nearly the last second of the record and even that is well it's it's just enough to keep you from collapsing in tears i think this isn't a record for a road trip or well whenever you're trying to have a good day But if you want to understand the power that music has to convey the feelings of another deep into your soul, you'd be hard-pressed to find an album that does it better. Skeleton Tree is both an extraordinary and graceful musical achievement, and I have to think that it was one of the key elements in Nick finding some way to deal with the grief unexpectedly thrown into his life. If for no other reason than to experience just how powerful music can be, this one has to be on your list. And due to what a special musical achievement this really is, and just how much it continues to captivate and move me, it's more than worthy of being called one of the best four records of 2016. Okay. Whew. Let's take a breath for a moment. That, that record, uh, yeah, I, I promise it is all uphill from here in terms of mood, but that album needed its due. Um, here, you know what? Uh, on the count of three, everyone say the name of an animal that only stands on two legs that's not a human. Now, the more people around you, the louder you should say it, okay? Okay. Animal that stands on two legs. Say it on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Kangaroo. Did you, did you say kangaroo? You said bird? What? All right, well, I'm firmly team kangaroo, so uh, hashtag team kangaroo for life. Anyway, now that we've got that out of our system, just two more albums, and coming in at a very close second for album of the year, Robert Glasper's Everything's Beautiful. If I was giving out the award for coolest album of the year, this one would win Running Away. Cool is the name of the game here, and this record overflows with it. It's so damn cool that only a few bars into the opening track, you're going to find yourself dusting off your shoulders and having a strut in your step. Now, this album actually has a rather unique origin, as Glasper was originally brought into the Don Cheadle Miles Davis biopic to handle some of the music reworking. And during that process, Glasper got a ton of ideas on new ways to kind of reimagine the Miles Davis catalog. So after getting permission from the Davis estate, Columbia Records gave him complete access to their audio archives and master tapes, and Glasper basically used these as jumping off points for the different songs on the album. He took the Miles Davis studio tapes as inspiration, and parts of these master tapes actually weave across the tracks, but this is very much an original musical work, and there are instances on this record where one can argue Robert Glasper as the most talented musical creator of his generation let's get back to the cool, shall we? This album is just beyond terms like smooth. It's got this slick flow to it that surpasses damn near everything else in history. It's a throwback vibe that has a very modern flair as Glasper effortlessly fuses together jazz and hip-hop and soul and many other sounds into this shimmering, simmering sound that will have you hooked in an instant. This is really what musical fusion is all about as he takes elements from all over the sonic spectrum and creates something entirely new from them it's beyond blending it's it's completely new creation and that's the magic glasper managed to tap into the essence of miles davis and the essence of all of these genres and i don't know it's it's sort of the soundtrack to cool culture if that's a thing and you can also feel the urban experience of the 70s to today in these tracks In many cases, it's the smaller elements that Glasper works in which makes the song so damn good, but at its core, this is a record you can put on after a long day at work and space out to, or it can be the hip soundtrack to having friends over, or, well, it also works if you're trying to set the mood with that special someone. The way these tracks flow together is outright flawless, and with the range of collaborators, the songs are able to stretch even further across the sonic spectrum. Oh, and did I mention Erica Badu makes an appearance on this album? Yeah, Badu. Every second of this album, oozes is cool. There's no way around it. Really, I just can't say it enough. This is also the sort of album that, regardless of your musical preference, you're going to dig on big time. If people go ahead and call this the best album of 2016, I won't argue, as it's a magnificent and sadly underrepresented musical achievement that you must, 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 must go check out. Get on it. So I suppose that brings us to the final record, my favorite album of the year, as it were. I will admit that when this was released all the way back at the beginning of the year, well, allow me to quote myself from February 19th. Honestly, I can't say enough about this album, and I know it's going to be a major contender for my album of the year at the end of the year. That has held true, as there's no other record I played more or enjoyed more in 2016 than Eerie Wanda's absolutely magnificent album, Hum. I really don't know where to start with this record, as from the moment I first heard it, I was completely hooked. The funny part is, on a lot of levels, records like this rarely have such an impact on me. But every element of hum is in perfect order and balance, and the music is just... The music is just blissful without always having to be slow or single-dimensioned. As the album plays out, you keep saying to yourself that the next song just can't be as enjoyable as the previous, and yet the band manages to prove that wrong at every single turn. Each song has its own special feel, and yet they flow seamlessly from one into the next. I just can't put into words how refreshing hum remains after nearly a year as it stands almost completely alone in terms of having close musical peers. That is to say, there's really nobody else in music making songs like these, combining blissed-out, almost ethereal vocals at times with wonderful hooks and sounds, but again doing all of this whilst keeping you completely giddy from song to song, So let's break this down, starting with the vocals. Marina's voice flows with this subtle strength that you don't hear very often, and there's nothing on the musical scale that's off-limits to her. This range allows the songs to go in so many more musical directions than you might expect, and even in the course of a single line, she can run from beautifully deep murmurs to higher octave plays. Along with her voice, Marina is responsible for all of the orchestrations you'll find on Hum. The word retro always pops up when I play this album, but it's retro in every possible meaning of the word. There are moments that ring of 50s surf rock, 80s mod culture, psych rock, a bit of country, doo-wop, you name it, and you can probably find traces of it somewhere in these songs. And the hooks? Oh, the hooks. There's not a song on this album you won't fall in love with at some point, and that's one of my favorite things about this record. There's always something new to discover. From the almost sultry sway of Mirage, to the light bounce and sing-song feel of Volcano Lagoon, to the super lo-fi reverb of The Boy, this record offers up gem after gem after gem. Nobody knew the sun- Oftentimes, it's the more subtle musical choices that really make these songs special. Whether it's the light guitar fill on I Am Over Here, the addictive spin of To Dream Again, the Dick Dale-esque feel of Vinny, or so many other elements, Hum is truly an extraordinary musical achievement. The band as a whole are absolutely fantastic, boasting one of the most impressive rhythm sections you'll find anywhere on the planet. And I think that's the key here the level of musicianship is incredibly high, but they manage to keep their egos in check for the benefit of the actual music. That is to say, they allow the sum to become far greater than the parts. And in some ways, I think this band has forged an entirely new musical sound all their own. I'm just really not sure how to define it as it crosses into and pulls from so many sources. It's just, well, it's eerie, Wanda. be honest this is one of those extremely special musical achievements that the moment you hear it the first time you know it will be with you the rest of your life it's the sort of album that music fans love to have as their secret record that they can blow away friends with and there isn't another album i shared more with people this year nor another i played more frequently hum is filled with the sort of songs that you feel like you've known forever they quickly grow on you as they nod to the entire history of music but do so in a completely fresh way So as far as I'm concerned, when it comes to the best album released in all of 2016, Eerie Wanda's Hum was far and away the winner. And if you want to get a gorgeous blue and bone vinyl edition, go over to beyondbeyondisbeyond.com and snag one. You're welcome. So that's it, everyone. My favorite albums of 2016, and it also brings us to the end of my final podcast of the year. Yep, that's it for 2016, as by the time this gets released... I'll be in the air en route to Japan. So I'll have plenty of music stories in the new year, because if you think I'm not going to go record shopping and check out the local music scene, you don't know me well enough. Feel free to hit me up on Twitter at @getearfuel and at The Daily Guru, and let me know your favorite albums of 2016. As always, the podcast is available in the iTunes and Google Play stores under EarFuel and at GetEarFuel.com. All the best to you and yours this holiday season. I hope it's filled with all sorts of amazing music. And until 2017, that's your weekly ear fuel. Share and enjoy.